This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. This is Zachary Farley. Joining me today is Joshua Beach of Odd Society Spirits in Vancouver, British Columbia. Josh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. So Josh, tell me about your distillery. What are you and your partners building here at Odd Society Spirits? We are a small craft distillery in East Vancouver, and our goal is to produce spirits that are kind of traditional in nature, but also kind of press the boundaries of what spirits are and, you know, expands people's horizons so they can try kind of interesting new new flavors. Yeah, so just because it's you make a gin doesn't mean it's going to taste like an old world gin necessarily. You're exactly. doing your own thing with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, it, although conf- yeah. it conforms to the London dry style, it's mm-hmm. still going to push the boundaries of that and try to be something new to someone so someone can experience something new. With wow, them. very yeah. cool. Well, we're going to definitely dive into the specifics of your products in a bit. But first, I have to ask you, your name, Odd Society, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what, uh, what, what are you suggesting by calling it Odd Society? Yeah. Well, yeah, we went through a few different name variations. We came down to Odd Society. We liked it because we, again, for those that same reason, we want to do spirits that are a little bit odd. Um, yeah. Do things that push the boundaries. Do things just differently. We're, I guess we're a bit odd as well. That helps. Um, <laughs> but then also we wanted to have an area. Uh, uh, You've been warned before you come in here. They're <laughs> odd. <then>. Exactly. <laughs> before warned. But we wanted people to come in and have a place that where they felt welcome and where they could have a drink and learn a little bit about spirits and just kind of really be part of craft distilling. And so yeah. that's where that society part came into it. Oh, very cool. Well, I assume you weren't born into a distilling family. You're not a third generation distiller, <laughs> for example. How did, how did you kind of come into it? Why, why work in a distillery? Where did that interest come from? Well, actually, I'm a trained computer scientist. I have my degree, undergraduate degree in computer science. Oh, so um, naturally. Yeah, yeah so they, naturally. They, the gateway degree, right, into <laughs> distilling. Then. The obvious jump into yeah. distilling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, um, I was homebrewing a lot years ago and uh, a little bit disenchanted with my IT projects that I was managing and getting canceled after millions of dollars were put into it. Whoa. So... Um, I thought, was, let's do something a little bit more tangible and something, you know, that people can enjoy directly and it's not, they're not going to, someone's not going to walk in and cancel your project. Yeah. You know, they can't, <laughs> right. they can't they cancel can. your vodka. Um, <laughs> I am canceling this vodka <laughs> run right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to do something and I was searching and searching and I was homebrewing in time and then I, I came across the program at Harriet Watt in Scotland. Oh. And so I went there for a year, for a year and, or 12 months and did the brewing and distilling masters that they put on there. Oh, very cool. And just kind of caught the bug and decided to, okay, let's do this. Caught the bug and basically went for it. Well, there there I actually met my business partner, Gordon Glantz, who also did the program. Okay. And he is originally from Vancouver. I'm originally from Ontario. And he was starting up this distillery here and then made me a partnership offer to come over to Vancouver and start up a nice little craft distillery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And as I look around, there's not a single computer screen here except for your point of sale terminal, <laughs> which it's is a tablet. True. So you've kind of made a big transition then, right? <laughs> You're not sitting in front of a computer anymore staring at spreadsheets. You are now in the back working valves and actually doing something with your hands. True. I actually still used to be on the computer quite a bit until I spilled coffee on it. And now, <laughs> <laughs> and now it's really computer free in here. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, now, now it's a lot more hands on. But, but, that's what part of me wanted, you know, really yeah. work with hands-on equipment and uh, and design equipment and fix equipment and really do stuff with your hands, produce products with your hands mm-hmm. that people can touch, feel, and drink. It's, it's It was important to me. Very cool. So I know the laws have recently changed 
in British Columbia. It's made it easier, or I mean, there's still a lot of hard work to opening up a distillery, but the regulations have become less onerous as long as you fall within certain requirements of right. the of the license. Did those recent changes kind of help you and your partners get started? Is that one thing that really pushed you to do it? It isn't something that pushed us to do it, and I don't think it makes it. I don't think it makes it necessarily easier to get going either. I think it makes it a little bit easier to make profit or to oh, actually keep some of the... That's important. It's really important. <laughs> so before the before the rule changes, Gordon was going ahead with opening up a place. So it was oh. it was full steam ahead regardless. And then it was only... Uh, that's one of those lucky things with opening a distillery. You, you can come with, you can get lucky on several different avenues. But this was one of the big lucky things. That as a few months out of actually opening the doors, these rules yeah. came into effect. So oh, wow. it, it was going to happen regardless. What it really did was allow us to actually live like normal human beings and not just be poor all the time. Right? Okay. So that's the big advantage. You can feed yourself now. You can feed that. yourself yeah. and actually right. you know, maybe go out for dinner once a month. Yeah. Right? You know? <laughs> sure. Phew, the, the good life. Because you were always, I assume you were probably always going to use locally sourced ingredients and all that kind of stuff. And now, because of the rule change, I said as long as you are 100% BC-derived products, the taxes are much better. So it kind of made that decision even more obvious. True, true. We we were going to because um, I think we consider ourselves sipping spirits guys. We like we like dark rums and whiskeys, bourbons, and really things that you can sit back and sip. So our plan was always to open up a distillery and go that Scottish route, go like the single malt route, maybe go for a, a tr- more of a tr- traditional Canadian rye as well. Okay, um, but to do those sipping spirits because you were a traditional sipping Scotch kind of guys, you you really wanted to. Oh, use local true. grains and, and do that and, and really reach out to your local community here in BC and and bring things in locally to really have that British Columbian flavor throughout exactly. the process. So we we were really going to do that regardless and, yeah. and go go all grain. We always intended not to use enzymes, although I'm not sure how important that is. I think most people in the world don't even know what an enzyme is. So if you say, <laughs> oh, we don't use commercial enzymes, then they're like, uh, okay. Okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? What does it yeah. taste like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we always wanted to go that route. And so it was just kind of, it was lucky for us as well. So all of a sudden, if we go that route and we conform to these rules and we only produce this amount and we use traditional methods and blah, 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 whatever the rules are, use BC agriculture, of course, is an important mm-hmm. one, then we uh, get tax breaks yeah. and puts money in our pocket. And, and not only that, in Vancouver previously, uh, traditional spirits or local spirits mm-hmm. at the liquor store would cost you anywhere from 50, 55 bucks for a vodka. Whoa. So now all of a sudden you see our vodka is on the shelf for 36 and okay. it allows us to make a little bit of money and we can pass the majority of that savings on to the consumer. So, oh, that's very yeah. cool. And I think the most important thing about it, the reason the government wants to do it, is pushing for it so much, is to really spur on the local agriculture. Mm-hmm. So it does that. It, it makes sure that all the distilleries are really focusing on local agriculture and then the farmers can you know make a little bit more money and it kind of trickles down right yeah 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 it's a whole yeah. new market for the farmers too and exactly. it, and it's exactly. all derived from your province yeah. and there's good there's good benefit to that although uh, it would be nice to have those the, the flexibility like they do in Washington where you get a 51% rule 51% yeah. local ingredients and you know you have a little bit of flexibility with some other ingredients like right. peated malt or you know something like that because yeah, you don't grow everything up here exactly. I mean no, no one state or province can grow everything you'd like to yeah. throw into a bottle and give it a try exactly so, yeah I guess there was a bit of a restriction there right. as a result with 100% rule True, and being a being a real rum lover, I'd love to do a rum. But, oh yeah, and we have the the Rogers processing plant just down the road, but it's processing. They're not they're not growing any sugarcane here, so it's really unfortunate. But oh man, yeah, and well, I I won't 
act like I have a perfect knowledge of uh, British Columbia, I will assume there's not many sugar plantations uh here no (laughs) no (laughs) yeah so that's not going to change anytime soon but on the other hand it's super i I said it's super unfortunate it's unfortunate that we you know there's some restrictions on you but it's super fortunate in that we we have these tax benefits and Mm -hmm. we're still uh uh, we get this close contact with these these um, local producers and you know we get to feed that market a bit. And yeah, it's, it's not it's, just a blind marketplace yeah. where you're just buying grains from who knows where. It you is. know exactly who's doing exactly. it. And, but I guess uh, there's always pros and cons. So Yeah, yeah. but it sounds like mostly a pro. You yeah, know, you're sure. able to get a craft spirit on the, on the shelf at a lower price point, thus making it more attractive to someone who may not be looking for crap for a craft spirit. Totally. And it, uh, more money in your pocket to then reinvest in your business and continue growing yeah. too. So, yeah. well, so kind of we, we've used this word craft a few times. I'd really like to kind of just know what, to you, what does craft mean? Because it, it doesn't just mean you guys are small, therefore you're craft. There, yeah. There's more to it than that, I would imagine. What, what, what does being a craft distiller really mean to you? This is, this is a really tricky one because it's, it's quite a heated topic. I, I've heard that it's quite heated in the States and mm-hmm. it's quite heated here as well. And I feel quite passionately about it as well. I think that it's, that it's truly ridiculous what's currently happening with with different groups trying to put definitions on what craft is and or or what artisan is and those things those those words have definitions they have pre-existing meanings and there's no reason why we should be trying to take those and to redefine them ourselves or mm-hmm. put our own meaning on them and, and exclude other people or include people to me i think these words are words and we should just leave them alone okay yeah on the other hand i see some value in having a designation for local spirits and you know produced 100 mm-hmm. locally or partially locally so i would propose something like i, I guess you're not familiar with with bc but or or canada but ontario they have the same th- thing in the wine industry mm-hmm. with vqa so there's it has a it has a different designation for wine that's locally locally produced I so see. something similar would be very beneficial it, like a dqa a distillers quality alliance hmm. and then you would know a consumer would know going into the store this is that, and you know that that comes locally, and it means something to them. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to redefine words, exclude other people, include other people. Yeah, you know, there's none of this div- divisive kind of speak that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel strongly about it. Stay away from trying to redefine words. Then just call. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. And artisan is that. Artisan is craft. It's handmade. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what that's what it is. And and craft distilling is that. So who's to say someone who uses neutral spirit isn't craft and when he made everything with his sweat in his hands, right? Right. Just it's tough. Yeah, it, it, that's why it's really tough to attach. A, yeah, it, it, it'd be really hard to come in and legislate this is what craft actually means. And that's what and everyone's trying to do. Right. Just because you do want to exclude certain things, right? Because some people think, well, the way I do it is what craft is exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is tough. That's why I always like to find out kind of what does it mean for you yeah. guys when you put it on your label. It's. Uh, I, I like to go to a good example. There's a guy on, on Hornby Island who makes spirits. He's he's been doing it for a long time, and he has been making all, lots of his spirits from sugar beets from Alberta. Oh, and he gets the he gets. I, I don't know. If, I don't know his exact process, but I think you know he gets the sugar in and he processes it, makes his spirits, and all by hand, all on small, very small stills. And, wow. and to me, that's about as craft as you can get. <laughs> yeah. And but but in BC, he's not craft. Oh because, really? Because he's not using BC raw ingredients. He's using Albertan raw ingredients. Oh. So it's, it's these oh, kind of fine lines that yeah, kind of burn, yeah. burn some people and don't burn others. And sure, it's, sure. It's a really it's a little bit unfair. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I imagine as the as the movement grows and more and more distiller, more and more distilleries open, you're going to 
you're going to there's going to be a more coming together of we need to maybe not standardize terms but perhaps come up with things like specific designations that you can opt True. into or opt out of yeah yeah well, but it, it, everyone's kind of learning this as they go along because this has only been around for you know what three maybe five you, you talk to some craft distillers and they've been doing it for five years oh they've been doing it forever you know yeah, they've been totally. in it for five years so even the government is still struggling yeah. to kind of catch up with what all this means because they know what a massive distillery is yeah yeah it's new to but, everyone it's new to the yeah. government it's new to the the distillers it's new to the guilds we have uh -huh. two in town it's it's just really new and it will evolve it really will evolve with time and in the future i'd like to see i'd like to see it evolve in a in a more scaled way so okay. if you are if you are using 100 percent bc raw ingredients then you do get the full tax breaks and as you deviate away from that mm -hmm. then you would have sort of a progressed oh uh, tax-based system i think that just sounds fair and then you don't have to think about it anymore yeah stay away from redefining these terms and, and yeah. just graded scale Very a graded cool. D, a, a graded dqa scale okay that's my idea <laughs> there we go graded DQA. <laughs> so you know, you you you're here in an, in an urban area. If our listeners can hear cars driving by, it's because we are in the heart of Vancouver, yep. right here. Did you guys want to be in an urban area? Did is, is is being a part of the city something that was kind of with you at the inception stage of the distillery? And what what does it mean to be here? What 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 are some of the benefits to being yes. here in downtown? Well, we Vancouver? did want to be in an area like this, East Van. Gordon's he's lived in East Van for for decades. Oh, okay. Um, so he's been around the neighborhood and he wanted to be in this area. There are some restrictions in Vancouver. You have to be in a, a commercial zoning district. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were limited by that. But we're... They're not going to let you put a 30-story apartment building on top of a, a distiller exactly. <laughs> because of its designation exactly. as and we're high not gonna, hazard. Yeah, we can't go yeah. also down in some residential area yeah. and start you know, distilling up the neighborhoods. So. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we wanted to be an East fan and oh, I actually consider myself a bit of an East faner now too. Uh, the... The almost two years that I've been here, okay. I, I've yeah, I've only lived in East Van. I've lived on Main Street and Commercial, and those are the those are the big streets here. Gotcha, um, gotcha. And so you, you feel part of you feel part of this community, mm -hmm. and it, it does have that feeling. It's kind of like the up and coming neighborhood has a long tradition of of not, of not being so up and coming. So all right, <laughs> so it's it's good now that it's yeah. being re, you know it's rejuvenating a bit. And you're um, kind of being a piece of that coming we're, here. We're being starting a, piece a business, of that, and yeah. you feel it from the customers. You feel that they they are partial to this neighborhood, and hmm. when you open up to them, and you open, and you release East Van Vodka, they, yeah. they're they, they're connected with you, and they they feel connected with you, and it really helps. It helps return business. It helps just feeling passionate about what you do because you're actually being part of something. Yeah. So it, it helps in lots of lots of regards. Oh, very cool. So what was your biggest hurdle in getting your distillery underway then, kind of in, in hindsight? What was that thing that really stumbled you as, as you were coming along? I think Gordon had to deal with this more than I did. I, I, okay. I swooped in a little bit later. But, uh, lucky. But I, yeah, yeah really lucky. <laughs> I did hear him talk a lot about, and that's what I referred to later uh, earlier, about um, how all these regulation changes m might not necessarily make it easier because you still need to find your space in the right zoning, get all of the appropriate permits, then do all the inspections. You know, mm -hmm. it just is onerous to go through that whole thing. And, right. you know, if you started today with tons of capital and tons of gumption, you'd still be looking at a year and a half before you mm -hmm. get, get out. So, or, you know, open up your doors. So, yeah. 
because even if you find your space, you still have to do all the fire suppression stuff that's involved. And does a building ex inspector even really know how to permit <laughs> Absolutely. a distillery because it's new to them also? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the bar and have the, then mm. you have the inspector come in for that. And oh, your right. steam, when you get your boiler in, you have the inspector come in for that. Dig up your floors, put in your drains. Like it's endless, endless, endless <laughs> permits and work. So the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then just and, all that and the government bureaucracy yeah. <laughs> that, that goes into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so, you know, thank God you guys made it over that mound of paperwork. You got everything installed. How do you promote your product? Do you guys use a lot of social media to get out there, traditional media? Do you kind of rely on your beautiful tasting room that you have here? Is it, you know, foot traffic from people in East Van who then go out and spread the word? How, how, what, what, what's kind of your process to make sure that people know to ask for East Van vodka or wallflower gin? Yeah. I think a lot, uh, basically everything that you said is true. <laughs> All right, good. Moving on to the next <laughs> question, on question then. Yeah. Um, no, so, we personally use a lot of social media. We're, we're on top of that uh, quite heavily. Yeah. We do also try to work with the neighborhood and different organizations to do events. You know, it also goes along with belonging to a neighborhood and being part of something and yeah. trying to sponsor things is, really helps. And probably the two other things that I can say were some of the best decisions we made were probably one the labeling okay so going with a company to work with our branding and our labeling yeah was pivotal to that and that's maybe if i was doing it alone i might not have done that hmm. and in hindsight that was a super smart decision yeah and if i did it again i would absolutely do that we went with cause and effect in town okay they are a great great branding marketing company cause and effect cause and effect all right yeah, I would like to. I really want to talk about your labels because they are beautiful. It, it, it's a it, cause and effect did a fantastic job just yeah. looking at them. Um, they're so unique and different and odd. <laughs> True, you know, in their way. True, they're quite colorful. They stand out. I think mm -hmm. that's a big thing as well. When you go on a shelf and you see ten white vodka labels with you know clear, obviously clear spirit inside, yeah, it gets a little bit boring. And when you see this orange label pop out of the vodka mm -hmm. section, it really helps. And same with the, the purple, bright purple, and in, in the gin and dark purple for the cassis. You know, you really you really mm -hmm. see these things pop out on the shelf. So that labeling, I think, is is really pivotal and. Leave it to someone who knows what to do. Okay, yeah. yeah you're a distiller. <laughs> you're a distiller. <laughs> yeah. There are people who know how to make uh, labels pop, and that's, yeah. Exactly, and I, I recommend that. And the other point that I was going to say, uh, yeah. not to not to leave the, probably one of the biggest things, the biggest aspects out of it, we, um, we have a publicist, and she oh. works really hard to get us exposure and media attention, and it's been one of the best things, best decisions we've made as well. Oh, that's so interesting. Catherine Manson is her name. She's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, a lot of craft distillers, people who are just getting started in any business, really, don't always think about the investment in marketing. You know, they, they, a lot of money goes into a still, a lot of money goes into product development. And then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, right now I have to go and get, my, get the word out. And how do I do that? So, yes, you turn to the things like social media yeah. and, quote, unquote, free, although they do take time to, to develop methods of getting your story out. So that's interesting. You guys actually decided early on to go with a marketer and someone who can who knows how to talk to the media knows and get, how to talk to the media and get yeah. get, get word about, out about your product and mm -hmm. um, get spots on global news and yeah. um, get newspaper articles uh, or uh, newspaper articles out and also magazine spots and it's been it's been really really good huh. and you basically get you get free advertisement and you haven't paid for advertisement right it's you, really smart that's an interesting point 
So do you get do you see, you do see good returns then on that? You do see yourself in the news, and yeah. people do come in and say, "Oh, I read about you." Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's hard to actually put a monetary value on that, mm-hmm. but you see it, right? Yeah. So you, when people come in and say, "Oh, I saw you in the paper," or, <laughs> so it uh, must be working. My landlady uh, stopped by and dropped a newspaper article in my in my post box. You know, she she's seeing it. Really? Yeah. She's <laughs> well, like, awesome. "Oh, this is my this is my tenant." Yeah. And she's super excited <laughs> well, that's about really it. Really cool. <laughs> yeah. It is funny. We think we leave the newspapers behind with the internet and stuff, but people still love seeing yeah, their name totally. in print and people they know in print. Yeah. Totally. And like, yeah. yeah. There's just something different about holding. Holding that that script, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, do you do you still pound the pavement though? Do you and your partners go out and try to get in front of bartenders, try to get in front of liquor stores, and and place your product there? We do. Is, is that a piece of your of your plan as well? Yes, yes. So we've been we focus a lot on Vancouver mm-hmm. itself. Personally, obviously, we don't. It's it's hard for us to get way out in bc but yeah. we focus on vancouver and we have good relationships with a lot of bars and restaurants in vancouver so we we want to keep those and foster those so we, it that does take that does take a bit of effort getting out there and you know always keeping in contact i have been sliding more and more back into production okay <laughs> yeah obviously as you grow production also needs to grow too so everyone starts to stick to their designated areas a little sure. bit more but but yeah that you can't you can't you can't underestimate the value of keeping those local relationships mm-hmm. when you we also do little tours specifically for bars and restaurants. So oh, we bring in their okay. staff and learn about our products. That's yeah. also, it's also something we think is really important. Mm-hmm. And when you get them on your side, yeah. then when they're talking to the customers, someone comes in and says, oh, man, I, I'd like to have a, what could you recommend for a vodka soda or something? Then they can talk about your product. They can mm-hmm. say it's made like this. It might taste a little bit different. It's because of this. But, you know, give it a go. And when they can talk yeah. in an educated way about your products, then you get out there a lot more. Oh, I bet. And Vancouver is a global city. So, you know, myself, I'm just a visitor here, but I, and I want to try local things. And yeah. yeah, so you go to the bar and you say, hey, uh, I'd like to try what's, what's local? What's different? What have I never had? And if they have, if the bartender has that personal relationship with you, yeah. they can really tell the story about like, oh, yeah, this is East Van Vodka. It comes from here. And here's some interesting things about it. Yeah. yeah. Foster those relationships and get them into the distillery so they can actually learn hmm. about your products. And then they, they won't talk about other products. They'll talk about yours because yeah. they'll say, oh, you should see their distillery and how they do it. And they use BC malt. And, <laughs> and they're, they're excited about it. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's nothing better. I always actually always use the analogy of the IT industry because obviously I came from that. But you see Apple getting the engineers on board with mm. all of their app development and really fostering those relationships with their engineers. Yeah. And then uh, when they go home to their friends, they're going to obviously be recommending Apple products and, hmm. uh, you know, getting getting the regular consumer on board with yeah, their yeah. products. So this I is what the super like, techie guy uses. So obviously, I want to use it too. Yeah. I see I see it exactly the same, right? Mm-hmm. You get the bartenders on board. They're, they're your best ambassadors. You know, wow. they'll, they'll get out there and pound the pavement, pavement for you, right? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, so we've kind of talked around it. We've mentioned the names a couple of times. But let's actually talk about the products you are making here. At, okay. uh, at odd at odd uh, society what what do you make <laughs> what are you putting in bottles we here. make a currently we make a vodka a gin a cassis and vermouth okay the 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 latter two i think goes back to what i was just saying about relationships with bartenders those are uh, unique in vancouver mm-hmm. i don't know of any other producer who makes cassis or vermouth and they're more mixed drinks so you can add them to different cocktails and i think that also really goes towards those relationships they Hmm. can say 
the bartenders get excited about it. You know, it's not just the vodka. It's not just the gym. They can say, yeah. oh, there's this and that. And this is how you mix them. And, oh, you try this cocktail and try <laughs> that. So they can really use those. Yeah, so you, you can go with a East Van Vodka and your Odd Society Sweet Vermouth and get an entire martini without ever having leaving <laughs> Vancouver, basically. And it's, it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> You'll be trying one later. Okay, cool. Well, then yeah, I've had... Excellent. And I'll, 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 I'll update my comments on it. Uh, <laughs> well, I know one of your taglines is, you know, something you, you talk about is uh, you're, you're doing old world distilling traditions, but with kind of a new world flavor yeah. to it. And I think cream de cassis and sweet vermouth are two things that are very old world. And, and you're right, not many craft people even think to do those. Right. Um, what's kind of your take on that? How, how are you doing it differently? How, what, what's new worldy about those products with all of our products we try to keep it keep it obtainable Mm -hmm. so you you know the products within the category that we state okay but also to try to push that boundary right so you're really at the the outskirts of that of that category but you know still recognizable yeah so you'll see that when you taste them with the vodka it's it's it is a vodka but it has a, a lot of floral aroma and a, a good creamy mouthfeel and really yeah. a new experience for the typical vodka drinker. And we try to do that with all of our spirits. So mm-hmm. like a big, a huge flower, floral punch on the, the gin. Yeah, your and gin has it because I've, I've had the opportunity to sample it. And it does have a nice, hmm, what's the right word for it? It has, there is definitely juniper in there, but it, there's so many other flavors kind of going on as well. It, you say it's London dry, but it's not just another one of those that's in the green bottles, you know, <laughs> there, there is some, or the, or the blue one either. No, it's, it's not that it's different uh, is what I'm saying. You know, it doesn't taste like what Doherty's yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. It, 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 it's yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the large bottles. They, they do a very good job of it. That's why they sell <laughs> 6 million bottles every day of it. Yours, yours is different. You say it's London dry, but it is a different tasting. True. True. Take on that. Can you yeah. kind of talk about that? How are you pushing the boundaries of your gin? So the gin, the gin, we decided to go very floral. So we yeah. went with a big elderflower, rose petal, and lavender nose. Okay. Uh, so it comes across really, really strong and floral. But we didn't want to make a, a sissy floral gin. Yeah. So there is a lot of juniper in there. So to give it a good juniper punch at the, at the finish. And also a little bit of kubeb pepper. Oh, there's <laughs> lots of other things as well. Yeah. But the kubeb pepper gives a little bit of spiciness on the end of your tongue, yeah. which I, I find really interesting. And maybe it's at the edge of what a sipping gin would be if people even sip gin i don't know I don't <laughs> some know people do I, I don't know if they do um <laughs> but i think when you have that expo- all those explosive flavors they also work really well in like a gin and tonic or any other mixer drink yeah cool and you actually make your gin in a unique way you do a you use two different methods of getting your flavors infused into the base spirit yeah well there's what kind of went into your thinking about that you do both like a maceration or a boiling method and a gin basket exactly, for vapor yeah. infusion well, um, yeah, those are, there's two different, yeah, the two different traditional ways. So lots of, lots of distilleries will put everything in with the spirit in the still, mm-hmm. um, usually macerated for 24 or more hours, and then distill that up. And then some distillers put everything in a basket and just run the vapors through that basket. And so we chose to do a combination of that. And I think I find it really important. I've, uh, we have done the rough separation of botanicals based on how robust they are. Okay. So juniper, all of the roots, oris, kubeb pepper, they all go into the into the the spirit in the still itself. Okay. And then the more delicate things that you wouldn't want that I wouldn't want boiling away in the in the alcohol for hours on end, like the florals, uh, citrus, 
all go in the basket. And we find yeah. that it allows you to get the aromatic oils out of that, out of those um, those more delicate substances, without pulling through all of the vegetal smells and really heavier, kind of harsher smells. Whereas the heavier things, like the roots and the and the juniper, they they're tough. They they can handle a good hard boil. Yeah. And anyone who's done a good long gin run will know at the beginning when spirit starts coming off, it doesn't taste so junipery. Mm-hmm. And it's only towards the end when it's been boiling for a long time hmm. that that real punch of juniper starts coming through. I so, see. So to us, we think that it, it needs to be in there. It really okay. needs to be boiled away. And that way it's, instead of just taking them directly into the vapor basket itself, you're not... Right. It's it, its oils aren't going to completely mask all the delicate oils that are in the florals that True. are in your basket. Yeah, so it kind of allows you to do heavy juniper on one end, but then really get a heavy floral on the other exactly. end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And I think also it's cost effective if you put if you put all those hardier components in the basket. You use yeah. you'd have to use proportionally way more of them to get that same flavor, oh. huh. and and you'd extract you just extract less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to us, it works well. I don't know if everyone agrees with me. But. Okay. <laughs> it's the secret of your product. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whose job is it to get in there and uh, clean all the oils out of the still <laughs> once it's done? Because I've heard those things really are hard to clean out. That's the job of chemicals and a pump. Okay. <laughs> and, gotcha. and we just run it hard for a long time. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. And it really takes care of it for you? We <laughs> find it takes it takes care of it. We, yeah. We we do a, a PBW cycle. PBW is a... Is a good uh, product that lots of homebrewers will know. Yes. Okay. But it, it's it's easy on copper, mm-hmm. or something like caustic that we use on all our stainless equipment isn't so good. Yeah. And then afterwards we give it a good citric acid cycle as well. And at the end of that, there's nothing going on in there except plain old copper. So oh, excellent. Then you can throw your vodka in there, and it won't be it won't have any of that lingering uh, exactly. flavor. Yeah. 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 So how did you know that your product was good enough to go into a bottle? You know, how do you make sure you're not just boiling up 6,000 liters of spirit only you will drink? Do you do you seek input from others or do you just kind of trust your own ju- you and your partner's judgment that what you're making is fantastic? It is tough, right? And when you're opening up a new distillery, you always have that doubt. But yeah, if, is a customer going to want to buy is this? A customer, yeah. yeah, is this really world class or is this... But you really have to trust yourself. First and foremost, you have to trust yourself. And when you do it, do it as best you can and really say, is this something that I'd want to sit down and drink? Is mm-hmm. this something that I personally would like to drink? And I think that's really the most important thing. And when you, once you have that, then of, by all means, uh, we had a panel for the vodka. We had a panel of bartenders and, yeah. and uh, people in the industry come over and sat down and did a blind tasting with a bunch of other vodkas. Hmm. And I think we placed first in that. So we knew we, we were yeah. you know, doing, doing something interesting. There, validation right there. Yeah. Validation right there. Okay. But yeah, it's, it never hurts getting more opinions as well. But you also can't be bogged down in it because some people aren't going to like what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And inevitably, people aren't going to like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You need thick skin and just, oh, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, like you don't like it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully someone else will. And, but Hopefully you, lots of other people will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you really focus on you know, making it world class and making it something that you would enjoy, I think you're all, you're all right. Yeah. That's, that's a good 90%. That's most of the battle very cool now you guys are just putting down a whiskey aren't you that that's going to be something you'll be re- releasing in a few years good question yeah <laughs> um, no definitely uh, oh i'm sorry I, i'll ask it as a question are you guys putting down a whiskey <laughs> we are and we're yeah. super excited about that we're we like i said before we consider ourselves sipping spirits guys uh-huh. and we want to make sipping spirits we really enjoy it so we are laying down barrels of of whiskey we're also 
we're also going to be putting away barrels of rye soon as well. We oh, want, wow. We want to do a Canadian rye, you know, because it's part of our tradition, but mm-hmm. really make it a, a rye bomb and have some good spiciness in there. Oh, cool. And, and we're thinking of doing that in some new oak. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which I highly recommend. Yeah, so you're, it, you're the first ones using the barrel, so all the char and everything will be fresh, and uh, the flavors will still be very potent inside those staves. Absolutely. So you get like a good, good spicy rye character, mm-hmm. but that really vanilla caramel kind of bourbon wood characteristic yeah. as well. So that, that's kind of the direction I'd like to go with that. Cool. Um, a good side advantage, which lots of people don't think about, and I don't actually talk to with most people about. <laughs> All right, well, so here we go. I get a little ex- exclusive. exclusive content right um, now. I think it's also really smart to gear your product line with new oak and used oak. And as huh. oak becomes more and more valuable on the market, yeah. getting used barrels, it really does, in the future, will help feed your, your own production cycle. So when you're done with your rye barrels in that new oak, mm-hmm. you can then swap them over to some, some single malt. Obviously, in our, well, in our case, it would be in a once-used rye barrel. Yeah. But still, you can use those barrels multiple times based on your natural product line. Okay. And so, yeah, I'd highly recommend that. Yeah, so it's not just a one-time investment yeah. that you're only going to use once, and then maybe you sell it on the secondary market. That barrel create a new product and keep reusing totally. it, and there's so many flavors still in there. Totally. And you're right, there is a... You know, there is the barrel shortage that people talk about. They're getting really hard to, to come by. And it sounds like it is up here in Canada as well, not just down in the States. So Even more so. Yeah. We have to get it across the border and contact, okay. contact one of the big guys to, you know, to get barrels. Mm. And, uh, yeah. it's, it's quite tough. And you're not ordering 6,000 barrels uh, at a time. So I wish we could. Yeah. But I think most craft distillers will be in the same boat and not being able to afford a full container of yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. barrels. There's other ways to spend I'm planning cash. for the future. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now, where am I going to store all of this? <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's kind of switch back to the packaging for a second. Mm-hmm. We talked about your labels and, and how you came up with those and how you work with a local company to come up with the design. So on your bottles, did you you kind of went into your decision-making process there? Because they're all very unique, and they seem to fit the products. So were they something you guys custom-designed, or were they just did you work with a glass manufacturer? They are standard-shaped bottles. Okay. So we didn't, we didn't have them produced. Of course, that would incur a big, big-time cost to get a custom bottle. I, I personally think there's better areas to spend that money. Uh, I, I would go with the standard bottle for sure. We chose these bottles just based on how it suited the product. And so we chose different bottles for different products. I'm on the fence as to how good of an idea that was. And you got to think about that when you're planning your space and planning, you know, how much how much size you how much storage space you have, warehousing space. These having all different products in different bottles, it's really nice from a from a customer standpoint, you can see on the shelf they stand out, they're they're a little bit different, but you have to have four or five pallets at all That's times in your warehouse. Yep. So you have to manage all these different bottle shapes. On top of that, you your filling machine has to be able to handle those different heights and huh. sizes. And your labeler, if you have one, has to be able to handle all those different types of bottles. Our bottles, unfortunately, the, the vodka is kind of a flat oval shape, I guess you'd describe it. Yeah. It's like cylinder. someone taking an oval and then squished it yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the uh, the vo- the gin is a tapered cylinder, so hmm. the, sho- the upper shoulder is wider than the base, and those pro- those that uh, cause some issues for different bottling machines. Okay, and it'll get you into more expensive bottling machines. Where if you stick with round bottles, there you can buy a very cheap bottling machine that'll handle hmm. all round bottles, and you're good to go. So it's it's, it's a 
it's a difficult subject. You yeah. Know? And on one hand, it's an you interesting can... thing that people probably don't even really think about though, is how is it going to fit in my bottle? Or, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And yet, yeah, your gin and your vodka bottles couldn't be two more opposite kind of shapes. Exactly. You can understand how one machine would have a hard time accepting both of them. And, and we're, we're still doing those ones by hand. So it, wow, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So, but it's onerous. It's mm-hmm. something everyone should really think about. <laughs> That's a and good then, point. And then also each one of those bottles has a different size cork, which you need to oh, take really? into consideration. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully some of them are the same. Yeah. I think the, the vodka and the gin are the same, but you know there are variations. So be, yeah. be mindful okay. of those decisions. <laughs> I think the biggest one is space in the back, warehousing space and just having multiple, five different pallets for five different bottle shapes. It yeah. just takes up space. And it's just space that's not generating revenue for Absolutely. you. Yeah, it's just things sitting there. Yeah. Barrels of whiskey should be sitting should there. Should be sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> Your whiskey will be in one of these bottles or something yeah. that, yeah. Well, maybe not. But, maybe, um, yeah, 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 exactly. But on the other hand, they look beautiful on the shelf. So, And yeah. how much value does that bring to your product? Who knows? It bring, but it's something to think about. Some, Very good point. Something to and, consider. And your closures, what kind of went into them? Because you have a natural wood on top. Is that a synthetic cork on the inside? It is a synthetic cork on the vodka and gin, and mm-hmm. originally it wasn't. Originally it was a plain cork, okay. a regular cork, a natural cork, and we changed. So that's another consideration. With vodka, we noticed the natural cork. There's different grades of cork. You can get some really high-end corks that don't mm. have fissures in them. Okay. But we would we would basically filter our vodka. It would be this nice, crisp, bright product. Yeah. We'd put the cork in and, you know, um, come back to the bottle a couple days later and there'd be little corky bits in it. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, and on a clear spirit, that matters a lot. In a dark you spirit, hide not it. so much, right? Yep. You can't hide it. The other consideration, I think, is those big brown fissures that sometimes occur in cork. Mm-hmm. Often they're just small brown dots, but sometimes you get a fissure. And, and if you get that in a vodka... It can discolor your vodka. You can get a slight orangey hue to hmm. your vodka. Okay. So given those two problems, we just decided to switch over to synthetic, even yeah. though it doesn't necessarily have that quality feel. Mm-hmm. But it's a tough decision. But, yeah, tough but decision. Your, as a result, your vodka has a quality look to it, though. True. <laughs> yeah, true. So it's... But I think the wood goes a long way. The mm-hmm. wood top goes a long way towards that quality. Yeah. I'm not sure how much the synthetic cork itself detracts from that. Sure. From that... Uh, and the, good quality and look. I would imagine the natural cork in your vermouth and your cassis, they are colored products, so you can kind of live with a little bit with what those fissures will do. True. And since they are kind of old world and old world kind of products, people probably expect more of a real cork inside of that bottle. Yeah, absolutely yeah. true. True. So just talking about your still really quickly, you have two very beautiful stills back there, a very nice column. Where did you find those from? We have two 350 liter Holstein stills. Okay. They, we found them used, luckily enough, in, well, we found them in Germany. I was living in Germany at the time. Oh. And uh, my partner, Gordon, found them online. Really? From a used equipment manufacturer, or warehouse supplier. Uh, and he got me to go visit him, visit them. I visited these stills. I took pictures and videos and then sent yeah. them back to him. And then we loaded them up on the, on a, on a container and shipped them over. Oh, wow. But, but originally they were schnapps stills in Switzerland. Oh, okay. The guy had a huge schnapps distillery with, I think, 16 or 16 of the stills or so. So they were, they were used for schnapps and they had schnapps heads on them. So these packed column heads. Okay. So we did, when we got them here, we did uh, alter them a bit. We got a new head made for the one of them to make it into a whiskey, a whiskey still. And then we added a gin basket, of course. Mm-hmm. And we added to the other still, we kept the vodka still, we kept the packed column. Obviously, uh, add some good theoretical plates to our distillation. Yeah. And we added a vodka column beside that as well to just up it. Up okay. It bit, up the purity up to about 94%. 
Well, I think what your, your process of finding them and repurposing them is a good point. You don't have to buy a brand new still when you're just getting started. You can look at the secondary market. And just because these stills were designed for a different spirit doesn't mean they can't be retrofitted to, do, to doing something Absolutely, else. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, finding them is the tough part. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in such high demand currently. So okay. if you can find them, great. And <laughs> yeah. grab them, repurpose them. But it, you, you'll be hard-pressed. Gotcha. And that's yeah. why it was so big that this guy's selling them. We need you in Germany right now. Go take yeah. a look Go at it. Go check them out. Go grab <laughs> them. Yeah. So it was, it was really lucky. Yeah. It got us going for, for you know, less than half the price. So it's really wow. great. Yeah. Well, it was another one of those lucky moments that you're talking another about. Yeah, the moments. timing was just right. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> what kind of just, you know, wrapping up if you could go back in time you know you've only you've been doing this for a few for a couple of years now you've been open you have products on the market you have people who know about you they ask for you you have a flow to your system you have, you work with two other people everyone has their roles everything's are is kind of moving along you know what you're doing now if you could go back in time though and kind of tell yourself two or three years ago here's one thing you're not going to learn for a while but you really need to know it now what what would be that thing what would you What's that one piece of wisdom you'd like you, you would share with younger you <laughs> who's just getting started in this business? Yeah, there's one thing that you hear many people say, and some people who start out still ignore it. And I can't stress <laughs> more highly oh, man. Okay. how important this is. Okay, it's about space. So size everything big, like f- as big as you possibly could. Yeah. So by that I mean all of your equipment, all of your warehousing space, just go bigger than you could ever imagine. Mm. And everyone will tell you that, and few people starting up will adhere to it. Okay. They still think, oh, we don't have money, we'll just skimp here and there. Just don't, just don't do it. Especially for the equipment. You, you get a still that's um, 350 liters, to get one that's 500 is marginally more, expen- or, you know, marginally more expensive. So just go for that marginally more expensive. Yeah. Same true for a brew house, same true for warehousing space. Okay. Like I said, with the bottles, right? So yeah, so go bigger, yeah, and yeah. you'll you'll grow into that space. I think is the thing, right? So sure, maybe you can't use all five hundred liters on day one. God willing, you will one day, and so thank God you have that capacity to then build up to. You will use all five hundred liters on one day. Okay, you will absolutely. <laughs> you really will? Yeah, and the only difference is that you can do those five hundred liters, and then with the rest of your time, you can then go out and flog your product to you know pound yeah. pavement, like you said, or you can do other things. There's other things that you can that are so valuable mm-hmm. that you can spend your time on instead aren't. of doing two runs in a 350 just yeah. do it once in a 500 yeah. yeah so a good example is our brew house when we sized that we we were we could have gotten away with a small 10 hectoliter system so like an eight barrel or something okay and i sized it at about 28 barrels whoa okay so 30 hectoliters and it's way oversized for the rest of our equipment you know it just is but it's perfectly sized for our future expansion plans so yeah. currently we do one brew per week. We produce 3,000 liters of product, of wort, mm-hmm. and then that ferments for five days. And while that ferments, we can be doing other things like bottling, like yeah. distilling, like anything else, right? Okay. It's just as, yeah, go big. That's a, that's, a, that's a great point. You know, and that way you're also not, and with space, you're not tripping over yourself. I mean, yes, we talked a lot about you have to store your different sized bottles and that's mm-hmm. taking up space. But thank God you have that space to keep them in. You're not tripping over it as you're running back and forth, doing your distillations, pumping things between your equipment. Yeah. Yep. Not At yet. At least you have it. Yeah, not yet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> At least that I can see. I don't yeah. know what it's like. when There are some <laughs> barrels strewn around that yeah. we trip over and yeah, it gets pretty packed in here. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that people also always say, not, 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 not always say, but something I like to uh, 
people who have this always stress the importance of it. Floor drains. Mm. They're kind of a lifesaver, aren't they? They're expensive to install, but they really do help with cleanup. Yeah. Uh, you, you have them here, don't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And... Yeah, I couldn't. Not, not everyone goes through that expense, and then they always end up kicking themselves. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so true. I've seen many floors. I worked. Yeah, working for a few breweries. Working for I worked for a brewery installation company as well. Oh, okay. And uh, I saw many floors, and just the worst thing is, and what you don't want to be spending your time on is squeegeeing the floor. Yeah. And okay. you just spend so many countless hours squeegeeing the floor when you could be doing other things. Mm-hmm. You could be. Yeah. I don't know. Because things will spill. <laughs> things will spill. Yeah. So the best thing is spray it down. And uh, and I always thought, I've been thinking lately, of, I've never seen it, but what I would like to do is have a sloped floor, like the whole floor slope going to drain, yeah. and then have one spray system that goes you know, two inches off the wall on both sides. And so at the end of the night, you could just turn on the spray Whoa. system. It would spray down towards the drain, <laughs> and you walk home. To me, that would be like the epitome of the best floor in the world, and no yeah. squeegee. And no squeegee. <laughs> well, there you go. Here, patent pending, guys. That's the Josh yeah. method right there. The, uh, that's his exactly. design. Uh, <laughs> maybe don't, for your next level, your, your next design. Don't yeah. steal it. I'll come for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, has owning your own distillery, now that you're on the production side of things, you make the product, you, and you ask restaurants and bars to sell it. You know, being on this side of things, has it changed how you go out to restaurants or bars? Do you go out to them and look behind the bar to see what's there, see if you're there, see if you where if you could be there? Yeah. <laughs> Can you relax, or are you kind of you're always working? Are you is that always on the back of your mind? Yeah, it's always in the back of your mind. At least for the first thirty seconds. Okay. I walk in, yeah. I scan the bar. <laughs> you also compare with the establishment. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of establishment is there? How would your product fit in and that kind of thing? And you do a quick scan, 30 seconds. Okay. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, they have them or something. <laughs> yeah. oh, but, that one? No, no. Yeah. But in the end, it doesn't matter. And I know uh, almost all of the craft guys in town and they're great guys and mm-hmm. um, you know, everyone's putting out really good products. So you, 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 know, you can't argue with them if they're in some place and, okay. and you're not. It, it's, yeah. You'd like to be there too, but you don't begrudge them their success no, in getting no, behind the bar. Yeah. No, I'll just bad speak them to the bar owner okay <laughs> no just kidding i would never do i would never ever do that i'm just kidding. you seem like much nice of a guy to do that <laughs> so just kind of my, my last question something i like to ask everyone a customer goes to a liquor store they buy a bottle of east van vodka wallflower gin what's one recipe or two recipes that they should go home and really enjoy you know how should they go home and enjoy that drink i know your your vodka is kind of for sipping yeah. But is there a recipe that you could share? How should they be? How can, what's one way that they could really immediately start appreciating what you've done? Yeah, well, I always, whenever you get a nice craft spirit, you want to you have a nice sip of it to see what that distiller is trying to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Unadulterated, kind of pure look at it. I would do that regardless. I don't, you just should see what they're yeah. doing with it. But, but you should drink your drinks however you want. And when I'm in the distillery, I've, I've sipped it enough. I want, I want a, cock, <laughs> you I want want a cocktail, cocktail okay. as well, right? But <laughs> the two that I drink here most frequently, I would say, I think our vodka is great in a martini. It's just a, that creamy mouthfeel that I was talking about, a little bit of sweetness goes great in a martini. So I would typically have it with a little bit of um, vermouth, maybe three-quarter ounces vermouth. With our vermouth, hmm. it's a, like I said, it stretches the boundary. It's a little bit more potent. Okay. I'd put even a quarter ounce or a half oh, yeah. um, in there. Just so it doesn't, you don't want it to dominate the spirit and mm-hmm. you don't taste the vodka anymore. Right. Um, You're not having a vermouth. You want a exactly, vodka martini. Right. Yeah. So I would go with, with ours, I'd go with a quarter ounce and a little bit of uh, two ounces of vodka. Just yeah. stir it on ice. Oh, stir it. Stir it. I, I think you don't want all those shards in there. You want a nice even dilution with no ice shards. Stir it up, get good dilution, nice and cold. Pour into a glass, three olives, 
you know, lots of olives. Yeah, and three olives is the key number, not, I, not two. I think so. Yeah. For right. me, it is. For me, it is anyways. And it just gives that nice sheen of uh, olive oil on the top. Yeah. And to me, that's a great drink. Awesome. And the other one that um, I highly recommend is a take on a Greyhound. And this was done up by Matt Cook, who's a really good bartender here in Vancouver. Okay. So he produced a drink for us called the Modern Hound, which mm. is a take on that. So that's two ounces of East Van Vodka, an ounce of fresh grapefruit juice. It's a half an ounce of jasmine syrup. Oh. Which I'll tell you how to make. Okay. And a half ounce of lemon and one dash of rhubarb bitters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, wow. It really is a fresh, a really refreshing kind of summer bright drink. It's really, yeah. really delicious. The jasmine syrup is actually quite simple. So you just take a, a bag of the jasmine leaf tea, a cup of sugar, a cup of hot water, combine it all into a, a jug or a jar or something like that. Let the sugar dissolve. So it's it's basically simple syrup with it with, with jasmine, some jasmine tea. tea. Yeah. All right, cool. But it really it adds something to the drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds a lot less daunting than how do I make jasmine syrup? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for you know speaking with us and showing me your distillery. It's a beautiful place. How can people find you? How do people find out about where you're carried and how can they come here and visit you? We are, like I said, we're in East Vancouver. We're on Powell at Commercial, so all the way north on Commercial, right when it tees off. You can find us in almost all of the private liquor stores throughout Vancouver, and we sell directly from our shop. From the We sell bottles from up front, also cocktails. So you can come by, visit us, have a cocktail on a Friday night. It's actually quite pumping in here. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, and take home a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, Hi, and we have a list on our website as well. Okay. Uh, and what's your odds, website's address? That's uh, www.oddsocietyspirits.com. Cool. All right, Josh. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.